This is the John Oakley Show podcast. And away we go into hour two on a great day for talk radio. It's one of those days where uh, the kids are away from school. Most are uh, off somewhere doing whatever uh, during their March break. And a good time for it, too. I mean, the weather is breaking likewise. And in some precincts, they've got rain coming and uh, rather heavily, too, uh, to the north and west. And this bomb cyclone that they're talking about in the upper American Midwest is wreaking havoc to a point where uh, blowing semi-trailers right off their wheels. Uh, interesting video. I don't know if you saw that. It, it almost approximates what we saw in our own area on the 400. Or make it the 404, I guess, uh, towards Buttonville yesterday, where a guy in his own pickup truck driving along, and suddenly uh, this small plane, small commuter craft, I guess single engine, passed in front of them almost on its side. And the instructor and... The young person that was in there learning to fly, it was the instructor actually flying the plane at the time, sort of did a cartwheel into the ditch, but it just missed the truck by a matter of feet. The guy hit the binders, and uh, that was, his dash cam caught the picture, and it was really uh, something worth, well, probably more than a thousand words. Like, oh my gosh, my goodness, what the hell's going on here? That kind of thing. Uh, anyway, fascinating detail because everything is being documented these days. You know, the story, too, of a young man who got behind the wheel of a van, went for a joyride with his pals on the early morning hours back uh, in the summer, I think, of 2012, it might have been, 12, 13, uh, many years ago. It cost a York Region constable his life. Michelle Mandel is going to tell us the update on that file because sometimes, you know, you scratch your head when you think about the justice system and how people get penalized. I understand the young man who killed the cop in this ordeal uh, also rendered a quadriplegic, but he's out driving. He's out and about and was shortly after a sentence was uh, handed down, which some might quibble with as well. But Michelle Mandel from The Sun is going to join us and explain all of that in detail here shortly. Uh, also, on the other matter of, uh, well, Pharmacare coming to Canada, we can anticipate that maybe one of those things tabled by the uh, finance minister, Mr. Morneau, on Tuesday in the budget. A lot of people have been clamoring for that. We'll be talking at the bottom of the hour to the president of the Canadian Federation of Nurses Unions, who's very much in favor, and uh, we'll find out exactly how they feel about Pharmacare coming down the pipe, as many are anticipating. However, on another matter, closer to home, we also have the issue of uh, kids in school. And you just heard Danny Longo talking about uh, whether or not class sizes will uh, no longer be capped. Are we going back to a time where the increased class sizes will uh, help to save some money? maybe through efficiencies or uh, rationalizing education expenses. There's talk potentially of scrapping all-day kindergarten or scrapping kindergarten teachers and in, in their place putting in early childhood educators. Let's find out what's happening on that front. And two, when uh, it comes to kids on the autism spectrum, there has been uh, much discussion of late as to how the schools will handle kids who uh, suffer severely and would still be uh, anticipated to get into the system or be excluded from the system. Joining us on the line right now is Liberal MPP Mitzi Hunter, who's the finance critic for the party. Mitzi, good to have you back on the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Great to be back, John. Thank you for having me to talk about this really important issue that's looming on April 1st. Yeah, well, uh, there seem to be several dimensions to the story. Where do we want to go? Caps on class sizes to begin? Oh, yeah, let's talk about the caps, because... 
here we are creating more uncertainty in our education system, asking school boards to freeze hiring, and they're all anticipating that the caps are going to be either changed or completely removed. And uh, we know how parents feel about class sizes when it comes to the attention that their, their son or daughter is going to be receiving from their teacher in the classroom. All right, so at present, what are the class sizes? Uh, I think it's 23 to 26, somewhere in that neighborhood? Yeah, and it's it's average, right? Especially for the higher grades, grades uh, four and five, um, and then for for kindergarten, um, it's an average class size. Um, I believe it's at twenty six. Right, uh, and so the idea is, or at least it's been speculated that some of these class sizes may go as high as thirty five to forty. I mean, I heard Kathleen Wynn talking about that. I mean, that was a clip that Danny played during the news as well. Seriously, it would be that much of an increase. I, I think it could be, but also uh, we got to keep in mind the other adult in the room, in addition to the teacher, the certified teacher, is the ECE. And, and that's someone who has a specialization in uh, childhood development that works as a team with the kindergarten teacher. And if you're going to add uh, more uh, you know, little ones in that room, you're going to get a lot of pressure from, from parents because they know that the attention paid to their child is going to diminish. All right. And so uh, the government's pretext for doing this is to uh, find efficiencies and save some money. Do you think they're being reckless in uh, perhaps changing the paradigm? I do. I I think, and you see that so clearly on the autism program. You know, we have this artificial date of April 1st, just because it's the start of a new fiscal year, and they are trying to balance the budget on the backs of vulnerable children, and this is just wrong. Well, all right. On the backs of vulnerable children, you're talking about children being excluded or having to go into schools where maybe schools are real prepared to deal with them. Children who are currently in therapy today, uh, perhaps those on who are who have the most severe needs, are now going to lose the funding that they rely on. Uh, families, I met with a family just yesterday who is contemplating selling their family home and moving in with their parents because they want to keep their child in therapy. Because Doug Ford and his minister, Lisa Lisa McLeod, is cutting the funding that is in place. This is just wrong. And we're saying to this government, pause the plan and go back to the drawing board. Because this is not helping Ontario families. Well, are they cutting the funding or just redistributing it because you've got 23,000 kids on a wait list? Better to get them on stream with some form of funding. And yes, uh, the others who had been looked after and maybe had priority in the older system, uh, they were getting looked after to a large extent. Uh, Now they're getting less, but it seems like it's more equitably dispersed. So what is equity? Not all of these kids are starting at the same place of need. And so you might be distributing the funding equally to everybody, but, but this is about diagnoses where it's individual diagnoses. It's not the same for everybody. Why does this plan not recognize the individual need of each of these young people? This is ridiculous. And not only that, it's creating an enormous amount of anxiety for parents because the school systems are not equipped to handle that many um, uh, kids with autism coming in, you know, almost at the end of the school year. There's no plan in place. There's no transition. It's just, 
you know, everything's going to stop on on April the 1st. That's less than three weeks away. Okay. Uh, on the matter of the model that the Doug Ford government has brought in and uh, to supersede the old model, maybe it's still, still early days. Can we say that their first priority was to get kids off the waiting list? That's what no. Ms. McKee... No, we can't say that, John, because what you're going to do is you're going to rip therapy out of those kids that were in there making progress. Why would you not want to give kids the care they need? You know, it doesn't make any sense. And families that we talk to say they'd rather wait for a proper program than to get a little bit of money that's not even going to get them through it through diagnoses and a treatment program. All right. Here's the question I ultimately come back to, and I've asked everybody and anybody who's attendant to this file, uh, yes, there are severe cases, and let's pick the ballpark figure that's been cited of $80,000 a year in intensive therapy treatment for the younger kids. If that's the case, uh, and we have enough in that cohort, I mean, how do we square the circle? Where's the money going to come from to make everybody whole? But it's not everyone that's on the most extreme, uh, severe side. I understand. But, you know, and you've got different degrees of it. But if that's the uh, that's the extreme and then somewhere between that and, of course, the lower end of things uh, where it might be five thousand dollars on an end, it's still a whole whack of money, which we don't seem to have. But how do we make these parents and their kids whole? This is a health issue, John. And when did we become a society that doesn't want to take care of those most vulnerable amongst us? You know, we, we're not a society that locks people away because they have a disability. We have to be a society where these kids have a place, they, they're getting the care and treatment they need. And of course, you know, as the former education minister, I believe in inclusive education and inclusive classrooms, but the supports have to be there. And the plan has to be there to make sure that the school boards have the resources that they need to support these kids. And that's just simply not happening. They've created an artificial deadline of April the 1st. Um, They're not giving the the school boards the, the supports that they need. And they're leaving families high and dry. And, you know, haste makes waste. One of our expert panel members really brought that out this morning. All right. Let's accept that resources is a euphemism for money. We need more money. We do. We need need more money in the system. And, you know, you can make sure the system is improved. I'm all for improving it, making it more efficient. Uh, But don't break the system. You know, don't um, cancel funding. So now we have agencies that are laying off frontline workers who deliver therapy to children. Well, I'm told that the uh, government is planning these virtual sessions on inclusion, uh, exclusions rather, and modify days with parents, educators, and others. So uh, their intention is to deal with this in a rational way, isn't it? Well, pause the plan. Pause, you know, don't break the system that you got while you're building a new one and figuring it out and leaving people in, in such a crisis state. Pause that plan. Get your ideas together with input from parents and experts and get it right. Any idea how many uh, kids would be in the school system that uh, come April 1, uh, attending full-time if their parents can't make up for the lost monies that are required for their therapy? I mean, if these kids you know, are being put into the school system, any idea province-wide how many uh, the, that number would be? The number that I've seen um, from autism experts is around 1,100 kids. Uh-huh. And so that's a huge number. And you're saying that would overwhelm the system? Well, think of uh, just, 
the change, you know, the, the, the severe change that uh, a child with autism will experience and the classroom experience of, of, of that child and all of the other students in the classroom. It is, it's a big disruption and we need to make sure that the transition is there and that there's time to do this right. This plan has not been well thought through. Everybody is saying, go back to the drawing board on this. And so if some kids are excluded, uh, they're not allowed into the school system, uh, based on what criteria exactly? Well, I mean, parents are very concerned about that because if it's a behavior issue or if it's a safety issue for that student or for others in the classroom, you've got to make sure you put that safety first. But that's why we're asking for a pause because none of those uh, rules and conversations have been put in place. Parents don't want to be called every time to, you know, take their child out of school I mean, it just leaves them, it, it actually leaves parents in a really tough spot. And this is Ford shifting the responsibility that his government should solve onto the backs of parents. All right. So if they hit the pause button, then where, where does that leave the parents and the kids? With the status quo, they would continue. Uh, those that are in the Ontario Autism Program today would continue. The agencies, whether they're providing direct service or direct funded programs, would continue and work to to improve the program overall there's so many experts that are are asking to be uh, involved in this to get this program right so you're saying status quo is better than the proposed reforms Uh, parents are saying that parents even on the wait list are saying that the status quo is better if my child gets the individual uh, needs met that that that, uh, that they're waiting for they would rather wait All right. uh, Well, we'll continue to follow this file. You're saying April 1 is sort of the uh, day of reckoning, and we'll see how parents and, you know, the educators feel about this, as well as the uh, folks in government who are uh, well-intentioned. I get that from them and Ms. McLeod, uh, but you're saying they're they're going about it the wrong way. It's too too much short-term thinking here. They're not thinking about the future. All right. uh, As I say, we'll follow up. Mitzi, I appreciate your time this afternoon. You got it. Mitzi Hunter is the... uh, finance critic for the Liberal Party and the MPP for Scarborough Guildwood on this matter of children with autism and uh, some schools may be excluding them. I mean, it's a very difficult file. Uh, I've got to believe that the government's intentions to reform the system are, uh, you know, they're not mean-spirited. I think they're well-intentioned, but again, resources, resources, more resources. If that's the panacea, you know, I sort of draw the parallel to what happened when these these folks that needed maybe uh, revolutionary types of medicines to treat, treat advanced cancers and the medicines were cost prohibitive. The government turned them down. OHIP wouldn't cover it. I mean, you could make that same argument saying, well, everybody else gets universal access and health care is uh, available to all. How come they had to go to Germany for their cancer treatment or Mexico or somewhere or go down to the States and then OHIP denies them? I mean, it's that same kind of argument. At the end of the day, what can we afford? And we hate the fact that uh, and Ms. Hunter's government was largely responsible for uh, putting us into a situation where we can't meet all of the requirements for people in need. It's not always wants, it's sometimes needs, and I get it, but uh, that's the dire predicament we find ourselves in after all these years. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.